Before I get into the scripture today, I'm going to bring Marshall up. Uh, he got a word from the Lord Monday night in prayer. The Lord has him share that this morning. And so receive this with an open heart. Good morning. So the Lord has given me a warning for the church. I have been asking for several weeks now for holiness in this church and for purity. And last, last Monday, I asked him to crank up the heat and to separate out the wheat from the chaff. And the Lord responded, most of the purifying will be done in individuals' hearts, but some of the chaff that is cast out will be people. Matthew 3.12 says of Jesus, his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Jesus is going to make us holy, which means that he must cast out all unholy and impure things, and that includes us if we will not repent. This winnowing is coming, and it may have already started. Please, I don't know who this is for. I think everyone maybe, but please do not let yourself be counted as chaff. You have the choice. If there is any unrepentant sin, any disobedience in your heart, fall on your face before the Lord and confess it and turn from it. God does not wish that any of us should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He wants to save you. He wants to save all of us. We have to submit and let him turn us from chaff into wheat. God, please forgive our stubborn and disobedient hearts. You say a bruised reed you will not break, and a faintly burning wick you will not quench. Lord, you know our hearts. If there is even any embers of your love left in us, please do not extinguish it fan it back into flame. You are able to revive us. Thank you for calling us to holiness, Lord. Please soften our hearts and grant us true repentance that leads to you. Thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much, Marshall. As he just said, the good news is you get to choose which one you are. And Jesus doesn't want any of us to get burned. He wants us all to be forgiven. I'm going to begin in Luke 18. Then it happened as he was coming near Jericho that a certain blind man sat by the road begging and hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. So they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by and he cried out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who went before warned him that he should be quiet, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still, and he commanded that he be brought to him, and when he had come near, he asked, saying, What do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God and all the people when they saw it gave praise to God. John 5. Now there was in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, or some of your translations may say Bethsaida, 
having five porches, and in these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water, and then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. And now a certain man was there with an infirmity 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew what he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? And the sick man answered, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well and took up his bed and walked. And from Matthew 9, When Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And he said to them, They said to him, Yes, Lord. And he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their eyes were opened. And from Mark 5, Now a certain woman with a flow of blood for twelve years had suffered many things from many physicians, and she had spent all she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus... She came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment, for she said, If only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. And immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, he turned into the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you, and you ask, Who touched you? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing, and the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. And from Luke 24, this is the afternoon after Jesus rose from the dead. On Sunday morning, he visited Mary in the garden. This is the Sunday afternoon. He's on the road to Emmaus with two men. And as they drew near to the village where they were going, he indicated that he would have gone further but they constrained him, saying, Abide with us. It is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. What I want to tell you is, I want to point out in each of these stories, each of these people in this story was very specific about what they wanted from Jesus. And in fact, they were insistent that he give them what they wanted. And he always agreed, did what they asked. Bartimaeus says, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? That would seem like a dumb question. Jesus never asks dumb questions. Jesus can see that he's blind. Obviously, Jesus knows what he wants. If Jesus asks you a question, it's never to get information. He's asking you a question so that you will realize something from your own answer. Hello? Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And then the lame man at the pool it says, I can't get to the water quick enough. Only the first person in gets healed. And I've been here for 38 years and I can't get to the pool quick enough to get healed. And Jesus says, do you want to be healed? Again, it seems like a dumb question. He's been laying there 38 years. The man wants to be healed. He didn't go, any, he didn't go on vacation. Right? He, isn't, he hasn't decided to go back home and live with his infirmity. He wants to be healed. Why does Jesus ask it? To make him say it. Hello? 
It doesn't, it's not Jesus asking for information. It's Jesus making him say it. In Matthew 9, the two blind men ask him to he, for healing, and he says, do you believe that I can do this? Well, they wouldn't have asked if they didn't believe. But he makes them say, yes, Lord, I believe. And then the woman with, who was bleeding, there isn't a, uh, she doesn't say anything, but I just want to point out what a mission she was on. It, it says, she said to herself, if I can just touch him, I will get what I need. She knew what she wanted. She knew how to get it. And she pressed through the crowd and she pressed into Jesus to get it. And then in Luke 24, on the afternoon of his resurrection, it says as he's walking with these two men, they're going to turn into the inn. And it says, Jesus went, made as though he would go on, but they constrained him. They changed Jesus' mind on what he was going to do based on their request. No, no, come with us. Come with us, Jesus. Stay with us. And he said, okay. So I want to start out this morning by encourage you that you need to know what you want. You need to be very plain, very clear. Jesus' question is, what do you want me to do for you? Some of you have forgotten that he is actually, in fact, your Savior and that he wants to be. What do you need? Jesus knows what you need, but you have to say it for your own sake. Get real clear and real plain and real blunt. What do you need? And ask for it. Because James 4.2 says, you have not because you don't ask. Well, some of you think that you're asking, but it's more like hoping, hinting. Well, Jesus, if you wouldn't mind, uh, if it wouldn't be too much trouble... Could you maybe help out a little bit? I'm not asking for much, Jesus. I just need this little thing. I'll take care of the rest. No, that is not what these people did. Jesus, save me. What do you want? I need this right now. Okay. Hello. What do you want? Quit being wimpy. Quit being wishy-washy. In fake humility, be assertive. The kingdom of heaven allows violence and the violent take it by force. Be assertive in what you need with your Lord. Hebrews tells us to come boldly to the throne of mercy. Come boldly. Ask on purpose. What do you need? Jesus said, John 16, until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive it and your joy will be complete. Why did Jesus ask Bartimaeus, or the, the lame man at the water, why did he ask, do you want to be healed? It wasn't because Jesus doubted that he wanted to be. He just needed the man to say it because there are some people who don't want to be healed. Because their pain is their pet. Or their malady has become part of their identity. They don't have any other vision besides this is the rest of my life. And it gets attention and they let, it lets them complain and they feel self-righteous in their suffering. They blame God, meaning this is God's will and it's just my cross to bear or something like that. Some people don't want Jesus' kingdom to come. 
They know when to say amen, and they know to sing the right songs, and they know what the scripture says, but I really don't want Jesus to come and change my life because that would interrupt things. That would be too much. Some Christians do have a real prayer. You know what you need, and you are praying about it. But you don't believe it's going to happen today. Your prayer is more of a hope or a wish. So my second encouragement to you this morning is that you need to ask in faith. That you're not begging a God who isn't willing. You're not wishing that something will happen. You're not hoping it happens. You are, in fact, coming to God in boldness. This is what I need. And Jesus asked the two blind men, do you believe I can do this? And they said, yes, Lord, we do believe it. We're not praying it would be great if that would happen. Well, God, if it's your will, would you please fix our marriage? God, if it's your will, will you please heal this disease? We have those promises. We know what he paid for at the cross. We're not to take the Lord's name in vain. That doesn't mean don't swear. I'm not permitting you to swear. I'm just saying you don't call yourself by the name of Jesus and then waste what he paid for at the cross. Because you don't believe it. Jesus said, be it unto you according to your faith. It's never a question of, is he able? He says, if you're able to believe, all things are possible. But your faith has been so damaged because of offense or disappointment in the past that to actually pray in faith now would require turning hope back on. And that, I don't want to do that, God. I tried hope in the past, and you didn't give me what I hoped for, so I don't want to hope again. It hurt too bad. I want to tell you this morning, Jesus loves you. He knows that hope deferred makes the heart sick, but he also knows that your day is coming. And we have to remain in faith until the answer is yes. We cannot make theology out of our unanswered prayers of the past. Our theology must, in fact, be based on the promises of this book. Even when you went through a situation where you didn't see it come true. This is where our theology comes from, not our unanswered prayers of the past. We must remain in faith. Even when we're disappointed or even when we have questions, this book and all of the people who have lived and walked with God since it was written is full of people who have questions, accusations, disappointment, broken hearts. God, why didn't you do this or why did you do that? Faith. God's word is true and our circumstances are secondary. Our faith has got to be in what God said he would do, not the unanswered prayers of our past. Because eventually your prayer will be answered, but if you're stuck in disappointment, you will miss it. We have to be ready. Number three suggestion to you this morning, encouragement, is be ready because the moment of your salvation is going to come. It is going to come. 
For 400 years, the Bible says the Israelites cried out to God because of the slavery, the slave owners, and the oppression. For 400 years, God did nothing. He did not answer their prayer. And then he sends Moses, and in a moment, God says, today is the day, tonight is the night. Sacrifice the lamb, set your table. We are out of here. 400 years of no, and all of a sudden in one night, it's yes. And what if, what if there were thousands of Israelites that's like, well, I don't know, God. My great-grandpa prayed, and you didn't answer his prayer. And my dad prayed, and you didn't answer his prayer. And I prayed all my life, and I ain't seen no deliverer. Why should I leave my house? There ain't no grocery stores in the desert. This is our economy. This is my job. This is our house. What if that happened? I don't know, the Bible doesn't say that it did, but what if it did? That because of disappointment, because of offense with God, because of 400 years of no, they missed the night of yes. Because they weren't ready. What if they made a theology out of their 400 years of unanswered prayer? Instead of what God was saying right now. Today's the day. Get ready. We're going. And then that generation, they come through the Red Sea and they go into the wilderness. And because they disobey God and won't go into the promised land, God says, okay, you're all going to die in the wilderness. 40 years of wandering around in the wilderness while everybody that came out of Egypt died, except the youngest kids. 40 years later, Joshua and those who were born in the wilderness were now raised up and ready to go into the promised land. Angel of the Lord comes to Joshua and says, in three days, you're going to cross the river and you're going to march around Jericho and it's going to fall down. Today's the day. Get ready. You got three days to get ready. What if? Well, for 40 years we've been trying to do this and God's never let us yet. Come on. What if they made a theology out of his no instead of believing that eventually it's going to be yes? They'd have missed because they weren't ready. The disciples, after Jesus has died and been resurrected and they've, he's visited them twice, but he's gone for long stretches of time and they don't know where he's at and they're very confused and they're still scared of the Pharisees and they go out and Peter says, I'm going fishing. They fish all night and he catches nothing. They're coming in in the morning with not a single fish. Jesus is there on the beach. Peter is so tired, depressed, beat up, probably despondent because he knows, Jesus knows what he did the night he was crucified. That Jesus is standing on the beach. He says, hey, I need some fish. And Peter doesn't even realize it's Jesus. He says, we don't have any. We fished all. He thinks he's a customer. You know, We don't have any to sell. We fished all night. Didn't catch a thing. And Jesus says, throw your net off on the other side. Now, not only should Peter have recognized Jesus, but Jesus did this exact miracle three years earlier. When Peter and Jesus, the first day they met, Peter had fished all night and not caught anything. And Jesus says, throw out your net on the other side. And they get a, a bunch of fish. And Peter falls on his knees in front of Jesus on the beach and says, depart from me. I'm, I'm unclean. I'm not worthy. And Jesus says, no, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Peter is so despondent, so depressed, so overwhelmed, so tired, he doesn't even remember that, that this has already happened. So Jesus says, throw your net on the other side. And Peter's is like, okay, sure. I mean, he could have said, 
who are you to tell me? I'm the professional here. But he didn't. he's like, okay. And he throws his net off site, and there's so many fish, it starts to sink the boat. My point is, they have fished all night and not caught a thing. Jesus, in a moment, changes everything. What if he hadn't been ready to respond? What if he hadn't, what if he hadn't been ready to obey? What if his hopes were just so gone that he's like, you know what, I know what I'm doing and you don't, and we're just going to land the boat because we're done. I'm tired. I've done what I can do. You've got to be ready. Your moment is coming. You've got to know exactly and precisely and plainly what it is you want. You've got to ask in bold faith, and then no matter, no matter how long the no is, be ready for the yes. Don't give up. Don't quit. Jesus is walking on the beach. James and John are fishing with their dad. They've, they've been fishing with their dad, and they're cleaning the nets out. And Jesus says, come follow me. I will make you fishers of men. Other places in the gospel, it says that James and John's family was looking for the Messiah. And They've been looking, and they've been looking, and they haven't found, and they're looking, and they haven't found, and they're looking, and they haven't found. And one morning, right between breakfast and lunch, a man walks down the beach and says, come follow me. Right now is my moment. Am I going to believe it or not? Am I going to make the decision? Am I ready to obey what I have prayed for or not? Or am I going to get disappointed because I haven't found it yet? Come on. There's a moment coming. It's going to come. In what you have been asking for, what you have been praying for, Lot and his wife, the Bible says Lot was terribly distressed over the wickedness of his city. Angels show up, knock on Lot's door, and he says, you and your wife and your two daughters, we got to go now. they got to be ready for what God is doing. They can't be offended that he hasn't done it yet. Come on. You give up today because he hasn't done it yet, but he's going to do it tomorrow. A lot of us are terribly distressed over the wickedness of our state and our nation. I don't know whether God is going to bring revival first or fire and brimstone first. Probably both. But whatever he's ready for, when God says move, we got to be ready to move. We cannot get so stuck in the, if my people will humble themselves and pray, and just think that that's the rest of eternity. Eventually we have to get to I will come and heal their land. We got to be ready. Because we're not praying to pray. We're praying so God will actually do what he said he will do. Zacchaeus climbs the tree because he just wants to see Jesus. Jesus stops and says, hey, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm coming to your house today. And Mrs. Zacchaeus flips out. It's not clean. I don't have anything cooked. Be ready. Jesus could show up at any moment. Be ready. Have an apple pie ready to go. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? What, what if? Like, well, we're not ready, Jesus. Be ready. If you're, actually, if you're actually very clear on what you were praying for and what you know, or what you, what you know you need and what you know you want, and you're believing, praying, believing prayers instead of hoping or wishing or shotgunning a bunch of requests up, hoping that some of them come true, then you will be ready for an answer. 
if you're actually praying in faith. That's, that's actually the litmus test of whether you're in faith or whether you're in wish. Is, is are you ready? Are you ready? Know what you want. Pray in faith. Dare to believe that he can do it and that he will. And instead of just wishing. And be ready for it to happen. Well, Mitch, what if what I'm asking is not his will? Then he'll say no. You're not going to get in trouble. Ask for it all. He's not going to chew you out for asking the, for the wrong thing. First John says, if we have this assurance, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So I don't need to worry, well, what if I'm praying something that isn't God's will? He'll let me know, and we're still cool. And the things I'm praying that are his will will happen. So pray with boldness. Pray with faith. If he says no, he says no. He might say yes. Well, whatever you pray, we're not hoping, we're not wishing, we're not well, maybe someday. It's No, God gave me this promise in this book, and it is 100% true. It is more true than my past. It's more true than my circumstances. It's more true than what the doctor says. It's more true than what our marriage looks like. It's more true than what our prodigal kids and grandkids look like. This is true, and this is what I believe, not what has gone on in the past. Dare to turn your hope back on. Dare to turn your faith toward Jesus because the prodigals will come home and be ready for that. God says, I will save your children. If you believe that in real faith, get ready for that. You know what that means is? Your family's going to have a whole new dynamic and you're going to have to relearn how to get along because you're going to have new kids and grandkids. Come on, if you're praying for your marriage, be ready for a new marriage. Jesus' question is, do you really want that? Or have you just learned how to live in what you've got? Do you really want that? Because it's going to be work. It's going to be communication. It's going to be, I'm going to have to get used to a new wife or a new husband, as the case may be. Do you really want that? Are you ready, when God moves, to completely forgive the past and let it go? It's gone. Oh, no, wait, I wasn't ready for that, Jesus. I, I got some things we need to talk about. Come on, be ready. Are you ready for your body to be healed and the pain to be gone? Do you believe that he can do it? Yes. Don't put your faith in a fishless fishing trip. Be ready to catch fish, whatever that is in your life. Be ready when he says, throw the net over here. I went on a fishless fishing trip in Hawaii a few years ago. I was ready to catch a big tuna or a marlin or something, and nobody in the entire boat got even a bite. And now I'm like, well, I don't know if, I, if we ever went back. I don't know that I want to spend my money on another trip. Some of you, that's your Christianity. Well, I tried that. I prayed that for a few months 20 years ago. I've been praying that for... Five years, and nothing's changed. I don't know if I want to try again. Come on. Come on. 
Don't put your faith in a fishless fishing trip. When Jesus says, cast the net on this side right now, do it. Be ready to do it right now. Without objections, without offenses, without question. Just do it. Watch for Jesus. When you know it's your moment, let him know exactly what you need. Shout it out. Kill your unbelief. Recognize when he's telling you to do something and respond to it. Take up your bed and walk. Whatever that is, it will be all of a sudden. Make sure you're ready. It will happen in a moment. This is your day right here, right now. This is your family. This is your kids. This is your healing right now. Some of y'all aren't nearly excited enough. Come on, come on. How many of you know exactly what you need? You put it in one sentence. One sentence prayer. Raise your hand. All right, those of you who you know exactly what you need from Jesus right now this morning. This is the main thing I need right now. One sentence prayer. Okay, you don't need to say it out loud, but I want you to say it between you and Jesus. If, if it's private, just say it in your heart. If it's okay, say it out loud, all right? All right, and then on the count of three, we're going to all pray together, and this is our prayer. At 100 decibels, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. All right, on the count of three. One, two, three. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. He hears you. He loves you. He wants to, in fact, be your Savior. Don't forget that. The Bible says numerous times Jesus' heart was filled with compassion. In the Greek, that means his heart grew warm. Jesus is on fire to give you what you need. There's your theology right there. Don't make any other excuses about it. Jesus is on fire to answer your prayer and to give you what you need. Amen.